Welcome to This Creative Life Radio. I'm Felicity O'Connor. Creative women all over the world are unblocking and recovering their creative journey while they rewrite the rules for creative success. Join me as I explore the lives of people engaged in successful creative work and unlock helpful tips that leave you inspired and ready to create. Welcome back to my gorgeous listeners at This Creative Life, uh, whether you're tuning in while you're in your studio or in your car or, I don't know, making art somewhere else out in the open. Uh, thanks so much for listening in. It's always great to have you. And this week on This Creative Life, we're really excited to introduce you to an artist in the States called Patricia Baldwin. So Patricia, welcome along to the podcast. I have to start by confusing you. Oh, right, go <laughs> Good morning. Ahead. Good morning from the States. I am Patricia Baldwin Segerbrook in the art world. Uh, my legal name is Patricia Baldwin, but because my first book was published under my previous name, Patricia Baldwin Segerbrook, that's the only way people can find me. So wow. how's that? That's okay, right. Well put me right back in my place and I'll I'll start again, shall I? <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, let's start with that. Let's t- tell us, a, because you've written books, you run workshops. Um, I'm very excited to think about prospects, about going over to see you in a couple of years in the States, but we can talk about that later. Um, but tell me about the books. Let's start there. What have you written about you and tell us all about them? Well, I'll start at the very beginning and try not to drag it out too long. I have been a teaching artist since I've been an artist pretty much. Somehow they are Uh, The two have always um, been intertwined, and one feeds the other. I have discovered in the look back, as we all do, we can look back and understand where we've come from more than the the step we're about to take. Um, But I was teaching at a large venue on the West Coast, Mixed Water Media, which is where I began in the art world. And um, I, I had stumbled across using wax in that work, and it was the wrong way, of course, but did um, eventually make my way to encaustic and became a hardcore practitioner. <laughs> and at this venue, I introduced encaustic. Nobody knew what I was talking about. There happened to be a publisher there, and they approached me and said, this is awesome. Everybody's raving about this new material, you know, very old new material. Uh, would you write a book? And of course, you know, immediate response is sure. <laughs> and then, you know, that night in bed, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> so that's where it began. And um, yeah, that first book was was huge for me, just in terms of turning points. That is definitely one. It fell in the course of my life when I was just um, going through divorce, actually just separated. And to have that kind of a huge life event on both on both terms, the book and um, divorce happen all together was mind boggling. Um, I think I, I should have probably been locked away for a few years for the ridiculous state of mind I was in. But regardless, it got me to where I am, so I go with it. <laughs> wow, that's that's a re- that certainly is. I mean, we were before we started recording, we were talking about turning points in your life and how can you if you can separate, you know, personal turning points and your, your art life. Mm-hmm. And you, you said to me, well, you know, they all come together. And that's a, that's a pretty um, good example of that, isn't it? What, a, what an interesting mm-hmm. period. I bet it was a tough period. I know. It, it was a very tough period. It was also a, a hugely, um, God, I want to use the word lighthearted, which doesn't do it right. 
but um, a naivete, I guess, is a good way of, of saying it. I walked into everything at that point in my life just because it was opening before me. And there was a certain joy in that and a certain, um, you know, somebody hold me because I'm not in control. <laughs> Take caution. But it was, you know, thank God, literally, I was I was pointing in the right direction. So it was all a good thing. Um the, the, the book, getting back to that, that first book was something that was niggling in the back of my brain, one of those somebody needs to do this sort of things. And to have been approached at the time when it was still just a somebody else needs to do this was huge. Um, it I, I had this somebody needs to create a book that is a workshop in encaustic in a book. You know, nothing existed at that, at that time in that capacity. So to get to be that person was, was pretty special. Mm. And, um, that was my aim and to have people respond over the years that they have used that book and taught them self encaustic when they couldn't attend a workshop firsthand and couldn't get their hands on, you know, the information they needed to get there. It was that that's really important for me. That's really um, a blessing for me to see that it did what I hoped it would do. How satisfying for you. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. So, yeah. t- I mean, I'm a bit of a, a, a novice when it comes to um, encaustic, but you, you said it was an old, did you say it was an old process? Correct. It goes back to, mm, forgive my history, um, the fame temples. So originally digging up the mummy's tombs, they found masks that had been painted, decorated with encaustic, with melted beeswax that had been pigmented with earth matter. And now, to my understanding, and I always apologize for this because I haven't checked reference to this, but I understand there are caves in Australia that have been found to have been done with encaustic, with the melted beeswax pigmented with earth matter. So that may even predate what they're finding with these Fayum temples. So it's an ancient art form. And then round about, mm, I want to say 1940s, again, check my history, mm-hmm. um, artists, modern artists, contemporary artists began using this medium again and bringing it back to life. Now it's, it's you know, it's big herald began in the 70s when two companies in the state started manufacturing pre-made paints for encaustic artists, which as an artist, everybody knows to have a, a paint in this day and age ready at, at the ready for you makes it so much more accessible. And that really drove the regeneration of this medium. Wow. That and Jasper Johns, <laughs> he started using it. Oh, right. Yes. Okay. Well, that's really interesting. And I'm sure some of our very intelligent um, listeners will know exactly where Verify that is in Australia. Facts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And you you went on to write a second book, is that right? And what firstly, when was the first book written and then what happened with the second book and how much later was that? The first was in 2007. It's called Encaustic Workshop. And again, it was purely based on the basic techniques and versatility of encaustic painting. The second book is called Encaustic Mixed Media, and it was a deep dive into the wide diversity of everything that can happen in encaustic. I believe it is the most diverse and inclusive medium um, that, that it's you know possible. And everywhere I teach and what I hope to show the world is that it can do anything. Any medium or material you are currently using 
can play back into an encaustic. It's a great glue, if you will, of all those artists out there who are exploring different mediums and diving into different things and trying to find their own voice or their own way. I believe that stepping into encaustic can pull it all together. So encaustic mixed media kind of gave a taste of that in um, showing that diversity and offering people opportunity to explore different things. The third book is perhaps the one I'm most proud of. Now, there are four books on the market with my name on them. The third book was a pull-together conglomeration of those first two and republished by the publisher with added material that didn't make it into those first two books that we had produced. Mm -hmm. The, The fourth book, then, is the one I'm most proud of, and that is... Encaustic Revelation, it was a book put together at the annual retreat I host outside of Seattle, Washington, here in the States. This July will be its seventh year. And at that retreat, I had, at the time, it's changed a little over the years, but at the time of the the book publication, I had seven other artists, encaustic artists from throughout the United States and Canada, teaching what they, their unique thing in encaustic to participants who would attend. And I asked the publishers, instead of dragging me to the proper uh, studios there at their facilities in Ohio, I asked them to send a photographer and editor to Encosta Camp to get the full experience of this retreat and, um, you know, to shoot, do all the shoot there. And that was probably the most dynamic and exciting and vibrant thing I have ever done is to include all the other artists there with me in the process of producing this book and for the producers, the publishers to see, again, that environment that is created in Costa Camp. It made all the difference in that book. So that book has, I'm going to get it wrong, nine or 11 chapters. I can't remember now, <laughs> but each of the instructors I have invited over the years to teach at Costa Camp produced a chapter for that book. So that one is is a conglomeration of us all, and it is quite beautiful. I'm very proud of that one. That's fantastic. I mean, that, what a beautiful uh, example of collaboration. Yes. I, I have fallen in love with collaboration, and it's what I continue to lean into as I teach and host artists here where I am now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Beautiful. Wow. So you've, you've been very busy and uh, you know I get that feeling of very proactive about bringing this into the world as you say and helping artists um, you know find their voice find their medium experiment with things which I think is all fantastic tell us also then um, Trisha about your own art practice are there other mediums that you have explored as an artist yourself apart from the encaustic yes like I said I started in mixed water media so I fell in love early on with First, color, and color came to me through then acrylic. Golden's fluid acrylics were just the bomb. Mm, still <laughs> are, me. I think. Still are. For me, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, they are. Uh, and then in addition to that, I loved the fluidity and the rich color of FW's inks and some um, a, a micro-manufacturer of fluid watercolors. They're highly pigmented rather than dye-based watercolors, a, a gentleman in New York, and I pulled all those together and did, excuse me, together and did a lot of work on watercolor paper and printmaking paper and just was wrapped over that process for years and years. 
I then, um, like I said, moved into the encaustic. And in that encaustic, I have been able to use some of those watercolor paintings as foundations in my encaustics. Um, the, the, the wax then plays as subsequent layers over those watercolor, water media paintings. But in addition, as is probably true of every artist out there, I explore ceramics. Um, I I've even gone so far as to use the walnuts off the trees in my front yard here and create walnut dye and dye my papers and um, use indigo dyes and use procyon dyes. So a lot of different materials come into play. I started sewing in seventh grade, so textiles have always been a delicious inclusion for me. That stitch line, silks work beautifully into the encaustic as well as, you know, as a encaustic foundation itself. So nothing is out of out of range <laughs> with this medium and with my practice. Nothing's safe around you by the sounds. <laughs> right. You could say <laughs> if my husband were here, he would he would throw it in that direction. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I, I, I love the organic uh, nature of, uh, you know, it's just so interesting, you know, all those sort of variation yes. of materials. And um, I think that sounds incredibly creative the way that you're thinking about what's around you and your environment and how to adapt and use and play with with things yes since Mm. traveling there in australia new zealand for two years um, i've returned home with a great sense of place i i attribute the australians (laughs) for creating that in me of home and of what is at hand the simplicity of just using what is at hand it has become a marvel for me that perhaps may take me in my own personal artwork through the rest of my life. Mm. But that said, something I'm known for, perhaps that's just what I think I'm known for, but I think I'm known for the use of tar or bitumen in my work and fire. So they have become integral parts of what I intertwine with the wax in simplifying my work and bringing it back to what is at hand? Uh, and that resonates now in a show I have here in town, very proud of, and what I'm creating to ship back to Seattle that will hang in Seattle in July. So fantastic. So, so good. Got any listeners Good fun in exploration? Yeah, we've got any listeners around that area of the world, or, or about to travel over there. It sounds like that would be really fascinating to have a look at. Mm-hmm. Trisha, do do just going back to the mediums, so the materials there are at hand, as you say, bitumen and fire. Are there any symbolic meanings to those materials for you? Oh, I could go so many directions with that, but I'll be very simple with it, seeing as how I'm talking about simplicity. I, uh, soon after divorce and and getting that first publishing gig, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, I kind of felt some great responsibility to get a quote unquote real job. And I went to work as a sign artist, full-time sign artist for our massive uh, Bunnings, (laughs) Bunnings in the States, Home Depot. And I was at that borderline tipping point, if you will, between deciding if that was it for my art career. I was going to be this one hit wonder, if you will, Um, or, and and continue this course of corporate world job, getting out there, supporting my four children, or was I going to fully lean into the art? And walking the aisles of 
I won't keep wanting to say Bunnings because I'm in Australia with you <laughs> mentally here, of Home Depot uh, and replacing those signs as was my job. I started asking myself, well, all these materials, why isn't this an art supply store? Mm. You know, isn't this a delicious art shop? And I started thinking if in terms of um, lasting and archival qualities and such, I asked myself if we're putting these on our homes and our homes last hopefully decades, if not hundreds of years, you know, why, why can't it be an art material that we can trust to last for us? So Encaustic Mixed Media was born, that second book, born of that, that exploration into the aisles of Home Depot. But also an exploration of myself in deciding if I, you know, what route in life I was going to take here at this turning point. And it was tough. I'm obviously at this point, looking back, there there was no choice. I had to tip into that art world rather than corporate world. Um, and it, you know, it became everything I am now. But the sensibility behind using fire and tar and plaster is intertwined with my own desire to change and grow that is just inherent in me and to experiment and explore. And then that, again, intertwines with my sensibility of nothing is, everything is sacred and nothing is sacred. So everything is sacred in that it, you know, holds, holds the possibility for so much life. Nothing is sacred in that I can't hold it secret. You know, it belongs in the world and it belongs to everybody. So, you know, that intertwines with my desire to share and to tell the world, or at least the little art world I roll around in, that anything goes and you are an artist and you can do this and you have a voice and so on and so forth. So oh, it's beautiful, beautiful uh, way of putting that. And um, yeah, thank you. That's gorgeous. It, you know, I think when I hear artists say things like their belief or their path of finding their belief that they are an artist, it's it's very inspiring for other artists to hear. Um, I think we've all been through that period of questioning, you know, should I stick with the corporate job or the, the other job or should I give up on the art thing? So it's interesting to hear you've had a similar kind of path and forged mm-hmm. through that so successfully. I think... Most, if not all, artists have faced that tipping point or the really tough decision-making that, um, I hope not trauma, but Mm. (laughs) that shakes them into a really deep-rooted foundation in trusting the art path. I don't think you really take a deep enough dive if you haven't had that shaking that has then grown your roots and proven that you're your limbs can sustain the storm. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, that's so well put. Yeah. Yeah, and again, I mean, I think you're, you're a fantastic example of that and it's just just brilliant to, to hear people's stories of that and I think people will feel inspired. Um, I, I love the analogy of the tree. You know, I often think about fertilising the roots, you know, in order to mm-hmm. get the fruit, that you don't see mm-hmm. everything in the roots but if you don't fertilise it and... Uh, you know, weed out what you need to weed out in order to grow the tree well, you will never get the fruits. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. Sometimes we don't want to do all that weeding and it is horribly painful sometimes and it affects other lives, but it is so necessary in the end. Yeah, yeah. Other lives, I was going to ask you because you, you have four children you mentioned 
And I do. Yeah, for our, our many women artist listeners, um, I'm, I'd love to hear a little bit about how the hell do you manage four children <laughs> and a career like that and a busy life, writing books, et cetera, et cetera. What, what, is there any wisdom, any gems you can share with us about how you negotiated all of that, demands on your time, needs of other people, your own important process? In the beginning, when I did that tip from corporate into art, it was because I had the support of my parents. They lived nearby. I'd recently moved to the Seattle area from their home in Oakland. And my mom was incredibly generous enough to be a second mom and step in. And at the time, just two were still at home, two were off to college, uh, to step in and care for them when I began this traveling teaching career that has funded the growth of my family, the sustaining of my family. So without that, I wouldn't have survived. And then, quite honestly, the sheer faith of my children in me. Um, ironically, sometimes I feel like they've raised me as much of I, as I have raised them. And I don't mean to be glib about that. I, I, I believe there is something about the wisdom of each individual. And just because they are 20, 30 years younger than me and my own offspring does not mean that they don't have a great wisdom that goes beyond their years and is intended to support or feed my own path as well. And especially my youngest child, Patrick, uh, holds that and has fed it back to me in a way that has given me strength and perseverance to continue this path that I don't think I would have been able to do had I not had them. So, Mm. You know, they were an integral part of this, even when I felt hugely guilty (laughs) and uh, wildly irresponsible at times going out and pursuing something that looked or felt rather selfish, yet in the end has proven to be um, not only financially sustaining, but uh, hopefully inspiring to them in terms of pursuing that deep down passion rather than the, the... the mainstream. Mm, mm. So it was the passion, it was the hunger that got, got you through things like the guilt? Because, I mean, the guilt, you know, I talk to so many women artists that suffer from guilt. Mm. Oh, gosh, it's ridiculous what we feed ourselves. Yeah. I turned 50 in December, and as much as people told me that those O's, <laughs> zeros, mm-hmm. can be really impactful, I mean, 40 was because at 37 I was beginning the divorce process, so 40 was impactful without noticing. I just kept marching through. At 50, I I felt this confidence as if I swallowed a pill that sat there and grew. I felt this confidence in me that I had never felt before. And I looked back at those guilt years and realized how ridiculous they were and yet necessary. I mean, that again is that something you have to go through to get to, or, or hopefully you get to that swallowing that pill of confidence because Mm. it's a life experience that that grows the confidence that is honest and authentic and real so yeah I've wandered off the the trail of your question but if if I've answered it with that I'll stop (laughs) you've done a beautiful job yeah we were talking I mean I suppose the 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 notion of and the experience of guilt um, particularly for Mm. women particularly I think when women are wired to nurture others, 
primarily um, mm-hmm. and how you you sort of how you you get around that or through that um, in order mm-hmm. to pursue something that as you say might not look like a, a real job I'm doing kind of mm-hmm. air inverted commas yeah. there um, <laughs> you know that the, you know that you mentioned passion or asked on passion and I can say it existed back then but in a form that I wouldn't call it passion the way that passion is in me right now. Back then, it was a little bit um, frenetic. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I just had to do something. I had to do something, not in a desperate kind of way, yet in a this is opening before me, just keep marching, just keep marching, just keep marching. Um, so the passion grew, unbeknownst to me, in and around this necessity, I guess. Mm. So... Mm. The guilt always existed, and it was un, 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 uh, <laughs> I couldn't put it out. <laughs> yeah, right. But in the end, it proved to be completely unnecessary. It's what we do to ourselves. Yet it grew what is now. So it kind of reminds me of, of you know when you talk to people about mm-hmm. you need to make bad paintings in order to get to a good one. Yes, yes. Your life is a painting, and there are going to be bad ones that you want to throw out, but keep those. They they become the good ones. Yeah, yeah. I've painted over so many paintings. Oh, me too, me too. And often that 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 is then the better painting the because best. it's got it's mm-hmm. got the layers of of life, mm-hmm. the layers of those experiences, mm-hmm. the layers of those paints. So, and uh, you know, I think what you're saying about guilt's really fantastic because it, it is one of those things you can look back and go, what. I spent so much energy on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So much unnecessary yes. energy on that. <laughs> yes. It'd be nice to know now what we knew then and not have that guilt course. But yeah. I, it, it one can't exist without the other, unfortunately. <laughs> and again, it's just fantastic, I think, for our listeners to listen to your story um, and to just appreciate the journey that you've taken through all of that. And that, you know, we're all human. We all feel doubts and guilts and you know all those kind of fears isn't it I mean you you strike me as someone that takes risks both um, mentally emotionally but and also in your artwork like that's reflective of the risks that you were willing to when you talk about marching on but really you were taking some great risks in in your life pushing through new areas um, you know in, in investing in yourself Yes, uh, again, kind of unbeknownst to me in those early processes. Now I'm much more conscious of the risks I'm taking and recognizing what I have done and how I want to keep leaning into that. It's more of a conscientious risk taking, yet mm. sometimes risk isn't conscious. It, 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 there's an intuition to it. And I guess that is what I'm paying attention to more now, whereas before in the beginning, it was. Um, Again, I use the word frenetic because that's what I feel like. But yeah. it, it was somebody else doing the driving, which was necessary at that point in a very safe way, but mm-hmm. risky way. So, yeah, going choosing art life instead of corporate was really scary and really risky. My children had been my entire life since my first was born at 23. And in this quote-unquote day and age, I, I started young. Um, and But then... Right on the heels of all that, I met a man who became what, oh my goodness, this is how it's supposed to be. Mm. And just after marrying him with just then one pers- one son in the house, uh, I proposed 
selling everything we owned and moving abroad to Australia to spend two years, quote unquote, again, homeless, teaching throughout Australia and New Zealand, because I felt like I wanted to drive this medium further the way I had driven it further with that first book publication. And taking risks, that one was very physical risk. It was a very, um, wow, can you say risky risk? (laughs) Yeah, you think you can. Why not? (laughs) It was a risky risk. Yet, I recognize now, of course, in looking back, we've been home from that two-year journey for two and a half years and see that it wasn't about the physical risk that was involved. It was about the uh, mental and emotional and where that has pushed me since then. And that is just phenomenal. It is part of what has rooted the courage in me. It is part of what has driven my voice to go further than I personally thought would ever be the me possible. Um, And it's, it's exciting. It's compelling. It's made me believe in pushing the envelope even further than than that craziness. So mm-hmm. hugely rewarding to trust your instincts, but also, you know, lead on the path. As long as it's leading on the path that you are already facing forward in. I, I don't risk in the sense of, okay, I'm done with this art thing. Where can I go now? And, you know, something foolish. It, it's path I'm on and I see where it's faced. And it, in that way, I, I jump into that risk pool. I wonder if you've come across over the years a book called The Artist's Way. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. I spent several of those early years reading everything I could get my hands on to understand what the <laughs> heck I was doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's one of those seminal books that um, – I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I teach or work through groups online with, with the book because I just found, uh, and like you, I suppose I was, you know, searching for many different explanations of this whole experience. Uh, and I found yes. that, that to be just, I mean, it was, it's been out 20 years at least, that book. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but that was a really, it, there's nothing else like that book actually. And it just, All right. it just sort of, came to mind when you you know you were talking about the process that you've been through and I wondered if you'd had some time to, to exposure yes yeah yes. yeah yeah what art else? and fear is, has been a good one as well and then I go outside of the art yes. sensibility of things and explore those life risks and entrepreneurial risk and those motivational speakers I'm I'm over them now <laughs> <laughs> you're over but, that phase are you but, <laughs> But I, you know, in those beginning years, it was Mm -hmm. so formative to see and trust other people's paths along the course of risk taking and believing in yourself. Mm. Um, There's plenty plenty we can learn, isn't there, as artists from people outside the the art world? I'm totally into that. Oh, my goodness, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think we need to go beyond ourselves and beyond the world we rotate in in order to enrich the world we are in. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Trish, are there any other major uh, influences on your work or for you at the moment? Um, other artists that you're looking at perhaps? Well, my fellow artists who teach with me at Costa Camp have been influential, mm-hmm. hugely influential, not only in keeping me going the way I'm going in the art world, but in my own art. I, <laughs> I call everything I do selfish. I'm lucky enough to get it to feed back to the people who participate with me, but it's selfish because I pull people in 
simply because I want more of them. (laughs) (laughs) I invite instructors to teach with me because I admire what they do. I want to know them better. I want to know them, their techniques better. And I want them to be exposed to the world I rotate in more so. So Sue Stover has been a big influence on my art and on my um, path. She's a great textile artist first. She has a um, MFA in the textile world, but pulls that back to encaustic and has been pulling that back to encaustic for the better part of eight years. She's been an instructor at encaustic camp since the beginning. And she travels with me when I do my Encaustic Camp Internationals and has taught here at the Encaustic Castle with me. So she's a great influence. Sonny Twombly's work makes me want to fall over and drool. Absolutely. Um, oh, my God. In terms of historical or well-known mm. contemporary artists. You have one who I went to Gallery New South Wales five times when I was just there for the oh, last really? that, that two month stint to see wow, his name just flew out of my head. Come on. John, no. Who's the artist who's hanging there right now? He may have just finished. Oh, I have his cards in the other room. I'll have to go look. But <laughs> okay. yeah, his his work it it it's so much joy. Mm-hmm. You can you cannot look at his work and not see the joy with which he has been painting and the vibrancy is just so alive. And yet, ironically, and same with Cy, Cy Twombly, I paint nothing like them. Mm-hmm. You know, my work mm-hmm. is very simple, very, but John Olson, my goodness. Of course, John yes. Olson. <laughs> um, yeah, both of their work is very um, rapturous and, and vibrant and alive and moving. And I paint with such simplicity and and minimalism so I, I can't quite explain why I admire them so and then paint so differently <laughs> well I think I think you I think you explain it well because I mean this is about taking from different areas isn't it different I mean I, I'm not in encaustic I wouldn't have a clue where to start with encaustic but I'm sure you'll teach me one day but no, yes. um, <laughs> but you know it's still fascinating to a- a- appreciate and get inspiration ideas understanding and just the connection mm-hmm. isn't it when you see other art uh, forms mm-hmm. it's you know it's like if you're a 2d artist looking at at 3d or film or poetry um, or dance you know all of those things inform us yes. don't they yes Poetry, words is definitely what influences me. I I am an abstract painter, and for me, abstract art is something that comes from the inside out rather than the outside in. So somebody, you know, a a plein air painter looks outside and what they're seeing at the end of their, their sight line to recreate it on the paper, and I come inside myself and see what comes from from what erupts there. And I spend, I wake early and I spend my early morning hours reading, um, studying, writing, journaling. And that is where my art starts. Wow. I, I, I wouldn't always identify that, but now I can see that is where my art starts. It starts in that time with myself and exploring my my thoughts and my feelings and those instincts and then I can go to the studio and then I can start seeing what comes so 
Gee, that's a that's really I was actually going to ask you about your routine if you had a routine at all. I'm interested in in how we all go about this odd process mm-hmm. of creating, and that's really interesting to feel out. You know, your rhythm that you, you have a real rhythm to that. Yes, definitely. I you know again wouldn't have identified it in the beginning, but I can see that that is what has evolved and what has been the making of me and the art that I do. Uh, I'm not regimented. I I won't. I won't um, admit to that the way that a lot of artists are. They're in the studio nine to noon and they'll take an hour walk and then they're in the studio. I can't do that. I don't do that. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of aspects of my life that have to play out on any given day. And sometimes I won't even make it into the studio, but between running the Airbnb through this house we now live in and hosting guest instructors and creating the, information and staying in touch with the people who come into Encosta Camp every year um, and then creating my own work, I, uh, I I fit it all together. But it, again, it all starts with that morning. It always starts with my journaling and with the reading that I do. And that sets the stage so that all those pieces of myself fit together mm. and can come alive in the studios. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's that's fantastic. I mean, I for me, it's often about resetting the energy levels in the morning. And mm-hmm. whether that's uh, well for me, often you know the, the meditation morning pages, which I learned from the artist's way, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you know that that kind of setting up the high energy or the good energy every day uh, in the morning. Yes. It feels essential to whatever I then go on into. And like you, you know, I'm doing lots of different other things in conjunction with my own process in the studio. Um, but yeah, fascinating. Do you, ha- do you have any other little tricks for us? Now I'm thinking about routine. <laughs> do you have any other little tricks if you're getting stuck in the studio? So you've gone through your morning routine, you feel ready to go, you're, you're in there working, but you get stuck. Do you have any little processes to get you out of those sort of positions? I do. My, my personal favorite, and it always happens when I'm done creating a series and I hesitate to call it a series, but a flow, a flow that comes to an end. Um, I have to clean. I have to clear out the studio. I have to be done with that. It's just a mental clearing. And oftentimes there's a period of, of no painting. Uh, you know, my creativity will go in another direction. It's sort of a, a putting to bed everything that has come before and been created before from that energy and that spirit that was that, that particular flow. And then when I come back, sometimes I won't even have a place that has spurred me on, you know, I won't have something that is feeding me yet. I have a desire to get, get my hand back in the wax, excuse me, the brush. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, and the way I begin under those circumstances is to, to simplify. I'll start with just three colors. I'll pick, um, the smallest of boards, perhaps just several four by fours to begin my work on, uh, I'll simplify as much as I can and just start the process. And by simplifying in that way, rather than, you know, what have I got and collecting materials and staring at them all, waiting for one of them to jump out at me, uh, by simplifying in that way, it starts to speak to me or, or, you know, that inner intuition starts coming up and telling a new story that will become the next flow of, of where I'm going with my work. And I, I love that. I love the pulling back and I love recognizing my own process in terms of finishing a flow and 
letting it go, you know, not condemning myself for continuing on because oftentimes when I force that to continue when it's gone past, it's, it's hideous work. Mm. (laughs) So, you know, forgiving myself, taking time away and coming back to it. So a Mm. natural rhythm. Mm. I love the idea that you, you talk about there around following a story or allowing that story to, to sort of resonate wherever, wherever mm-hmm. that comes from. Some, more often than not, we're pretty, it's pretty unconscious, I think, isn't it? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I, I can zone out, as they say. Mm. Um, I don't lose myself to time. I, I, I've got a strong left brain and right brain thing going on with, with an engineer father and mm-hmm. a whole family of, of professionals. <laughs> Right. Um, but but I, I do lose myself to the realization that I am in that flow. So I am there now. I've had three great days in the studio producing the show for Seattle, and I'm going to sleep excited to wake up and begin it again. And, and, and knowing even as I'm talking to you here that the next thing I get to do is go turn that wax palette on. Um, but that doesn't subjugate knowing I need good sleep and getting myself to bed yes. <laughs> and, and doing my morning routine. So, you know, there's still, you know, both sides of the brains going, okay, let's balance here. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. Wow. It's just been absolutely fascinating and such a delight to talk to you. I had the pleasure of meeting you when you were in Australia just recently and, um, mm-hmm. Uh, it was a fantastic connection and I'm, I certainly just feel, Trish, that we will meet again um, perhaps on your side of the world next, which would be very exciting. Um, it sure would. I hope to pull you all over here in 2020. 2020. We've as well one. as make another return trip myself. Yeah. Great, great. Well, we'll make sure you let, let, let us know when, you, when you're on your way back. If people want to contact you, Trish, or, or have a look at your work or find references to your books is it, do you have a website would that be the best way for people to do that that sure would i actually have two but you can find me <laughs> easiest at pbs artist pbs are my initials patricia baldwin segerbrook yep so it's pbsartist.com and that is the site where you'll find everything about what I put out there in the world in terms of Encosta Camp and what is held here with my own work and, and guest instructors at the Encosta Castle, mm-hmm. where I go internationally. So everything is there at that site. And, and then from there, if you hit the galleries or about me, um, it'll take you to my my own personal artwork website. Fantastic. I'm also on, on Instagram yep. with the PBS artist. So that's a fun way to follow too. I really enjoy that. Love that Instagram. Mode of social media. Yep, me too. Love Instagram for artists. It's my favorite yes. too. Did, now, I just want to clarify something. You did say castle, didn't you? I did. I did. Tell us about the castle. <laughs> After returning from Australia for two years, John and I, my husband, were somewhat desperate to find a home, seeing as how we sold everything. Right. And he's always had a passion for the thoroughbred horse industry, and its heart is in Lexington, Kentucky. So, because he came along and followed me to Australia, I decided I'd follow him to Lexington, and that landed us here. There's amazing history here. This is a you know pre-Civil War city, nothing like Seattle, Washington. And we were able to buy an 1880 Victorian, like I said, castle. It has wow. a turret. It's, it's sandstone and limestone. It's quite ridiculous. Three stories. Oh, my and God. 
early on, one of my um, followers dubbed it the Encosta Castle, and it's stuck. It is forever the Encosta Castle. So through here, I have three, forgive me, I know this is where Envy comes in, but three studios, three gorgeous, wonderfully spaced (laughs) studios. And in addition, an artist residency is being developed here. I have space for one at this time, and we'll be launching Artist res- and caustic artist residencies in 2018. So check the site for that if you're an encaustic artist. Mm. Um, yeah, so a lot happening and a beautiful place to work. We're a mile and a half from the downtown area. It's just so vibrant and alive here. It's a great art culture. And we came for my husband and I found my home. <laughs> oh, how gorgeous. That, that just sounds incredible. So um, I certainly encourage people to, to check out where you are, what you're doing, Trish, around the world. In um, Costi Camp sounds something that would be brilliant to, to travel for, for the Australian artists to, to travel overseas. Yes, or if I've you're... had several Australians come. Have and you? in 2018, I'm hoping to get a big contingency of the Australians and New Zealanders over here. So Awesome, exciting. And if you're on that side of the world, well... You know, you're just lucky because it's a, sh- a shorter trip to go, it's <laughs> go and stay trip, with Trish. Yes. <laughs> sounds brilliant. And and what a setting. Just, um, yeah, sounds so creative. Uh, can't imagine. Sounds brilliant. It is a gorgeous experience. Yeah. Trish, we're going to put your details in, in the show notes so people will be easily able to find your website and uh, Instagram account and all of those, those things so we can find out more about you and, and contact you, no doubt, through those things if we're interested in workshops, etc. Um, it'd be great. Do you put if you're coming out to Australia? Do you put those dates on your website? Could we find that out through there? Yeah, when I do again, I will. This, right. Um, there'll there'll be uh, set venues in hopefully Perth, Brisbane, Sydney area, Fantastic. and then into New Zealand is my goal. So fantastic. Yeah. Well, well, we'll keep an eye out for that on your website when we get closer to the time. And once again, I just really want to thank you so much. Um, I think this has been a really beautiful interview and uh, really lovely to connect a little bit more deeply with your story. And I certainly look forward to having some more contact with you both perhaps on the podcast again or um, over the internet or somehow live, live in person. (laughs) Yes, indeed. It is worth mentioning because somebody exists there in Australia. If people want more information about Encaustic and get their hands on it a little more readily than coming all the way to the States. Yes. Morella Vasallo. Uh, has begun in 2012 she was with me in a workshop and she started a company supplying encaustic materials and boards to Australian artists and she has developed that into a beautiful resource for encaustic in Australia and that is encausticsupplies.com.au and I would encourage everybody to check it out and use her as a resource for information as well as materials Oh, in getting your encaustic going. That's it. Yeah. That, thank you so much for that because that, that's true. People might be now wondering where the heck do they go for that. So that's appreciate that. Yes. That's awesome. Super. All right, Patricia, it's, it's some ungodly hour in the morning for you, um, although I, you tell me you've been up since what, sort of 4 a.m. Yeah, or the light, crazy. the sun's just coming, the birds oh, are going. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, you go and enjoy the day and um, I hope that you find lots of inspiration and the muse comes. And we will look forward to some further contact down the track. And I've, once again, thank you very much for being part of this creative life. And um, yes. you have a beautiful creative life, which I feel is been very inspiring to, to listen to and to share. So thanks once again. 
Yes, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's been wonderful. My pleasure. Bye for now. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you're feeling really ready to jump into your creative life. If you'd like more information about my inspiring 12-week online program to seriously unblock your creative life, pop on over to my website, felicityoconnor.com, and go to the Work With Me page. If you're after a super friendly, helpful community of creative people to hang out with, you must check out my amazing Facebook group called From the Easel and join hundreds of artists and creative people that have discovered that they don't have to take this journey alone.